gay people love puns. I'm dead. <laughs> we have to stop this podcast. Well, this book causes Satanism. What is left for us to rant about? There is nothing straight about plum velvet. <laughs> you shouldn't have been drinking when I said that. <laughs> Monocles are impractical, but hot. I don't for a second believe that she is a straight person. I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva McGonagall. Let's talk about <laughs> Harry Potter. Hello, and welcome to The Gaily Prophet, a humorous yet ruthless podcast where two queer IRL witches reread Harry Potter and talk about it. I am America's favorite Griffin dandy, Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Griffin Dyke Extraordinaire, Jesse Blount. Real quick, before we, before Jesse tells us what happens in this chapter, I just want to give a huge thank you to Nikki, who left us a donation. You're great. We super appreciate it. And today we are talking about chapter 15 of Goblet of Fire, Bobatons, and Durmstrang. So uh, in this chapter, Harry uh, gets up. He, this is taking place exactly after the last chapter. He wakes up and he writes another letter to Sirius. Being like, you know what? Nothing is wrong. Not a big deal. No need to come out of hiding. Thanks, Harry. While he waits for a response, his schoolwork is getting more intense, but not nearly as intense as Moody putting the entire class individually in an imperious curse. Harry, though, because, I don't know, grit or something, is the only one who left class being able to throw off the curse completely. We time skip to the end of October, where all the students and staff are awaiting the arrival of the kids of the kids and headmasters of Bobatons and Durmstrang, the other magical schools participating in the Triwizards Tournament. Uh, Harry gets a letter back from Sirius where he's like, LOL, nice try. I'm already back in the country. Chilling with my boyfriend. He didn't say that, but we can infer. <laughs> and uh, all of Hogwarts gathers in the front lawn to meet the exchange students. And we meet Madame Maxine, the headmaster of Bobaton, and Karkaroff, the headmaster of Durmstrang, and special surprise guest, Victor Crumb, who is old enough to participate in the Triwizards Tournament. If I could wolf whistle, I would <laughs> right now, but I can't, so... <laughs> you could just put in a wolf whistle. <laughs> I might. <laughs> oh. Yes, indeed. Uh, so we're going to start this newspaper off with probably my weakest headline to date, but you know what? I couldn't figure it out. So today's headlines, Hogwarts, yikes. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the, that is the exact, like, if you had a little like comic, like drawn comic of all of the Bobaton kids, like their giant collective (laughs) thought bubble would be like Hogwarts, yikes. (laughs) It's true. Uh, <laughs> goodness. Oh, they broke out their best silk robes for this. <laughs> it's true. Oh my gosh. Someone draw that. So with that, we're going to turn to the front page where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. Who do you first? Just that Peeves tries to straight up murder Harry by toppling a large like vase on top of him. Right? Just, just just, casual. I avoided being murdered on my way up to the Allery today. It's like, what? <laughs> I, I thought the same thing. I was like, is that supposed to be a prank? Because, like, that sounds very dangerous. I feel like not knowing the difference between, like, 
a prank and attempted murder is actually very telling about who scoundrel jkr is as a person (laughs) yeah this is also like anytime i read a like post on twitter where it's a screenshot from the reddit am i the asshole and so it's like i played a practical joke it's either like really disgusting or it's like Mm life-threatening and it's like do you not understand (laughs) what a practical joke is you know like that's that's not endangering people's health in their lives is not a practical joke that's (laughs) manslaughter (laughs) (laughs) yep agreed um all right so we learn in this chapter that the imperious curse makes you feel amazing and that using it you can make other people do really silly things which made me realize that teenagers would absolutely have imperious curse parties where they would take turns casting it on each other like a drug you know i actually i actually do have that i feel like the way that harry describes what the imperious curse is like is sort of like I feel like the closest way I can describe that is being on mushrooms. Uh huh. Because <laughs> it sounds like being on mushrooms. And hilariously enough, like mushrooms does make you sort of more suggestible, uh, which is why it's used sometimes in therapy. And it's like they keep using this medicinally for therapy. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Oh my God. You're so right. Right? Yes. And, like, mushrooms are excellent for working with, like, mental illness stuff, you know? Yeah, and, like, rewiring trauma pathways in your brain and stuff. Like, I want to feel just, like, vaguely happy and relaxed and, like, I don't have any worry of my brain. That never happens. Only when I'm on drugs (laughs) is my brain not having some, like, anxiety spiral somewhere, large or small. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. So um yeah okay so then my last my last thought in that camp was that it just made me think about um you know giles and ethan rain and their friends summoning a demon to make them feel groovy when they were teens maybe it was something like this yeah (laughs) sorry i just (laughs) i just imagined a like crossover story where it's like just a like random witch who's like apparating into her apartment and like imperial them and then like (laughs) stealing their money and leaving or something (laughs) it's like yeah i'm egon sure yep (laughs) (laughs) sounds real spooky (laughs) i love it this will not be the only Buffy reference that I have today in this episode, so I'm glad. Cool. <laughs> All right, what do you have next? Okay, maybe this isn't actually ironic, but just just having a Death Eater teaching Harry how to throw off an imperious curse so Death Eaters can't control him is just very funny to me. It's there's such a mind fuck involved in like truly thinking about this from the standpoint of it being Barty Crouch Jr. because that but then also like he lived under the imperious curse for like 11 years so can you imagine this fucking kid that like brought the downfall of the dude that you worship and whatever is over here 
able on his first day having the curse put on him to throw it off entirely. Do you know how bitter Barty Crouch Jr. is feeling towards Harry Potter? Yeah. He drank an entire bottle of wine that night. Or, on the other hand, if this was like, if we go with the Barty Crouch really was the wrong place, wrong time, he's like, yeah, fuck you guys. Fuck you, Death Eaters. Good luck trying to control... They're like boy who lived, suckers. <laughs> well, wrong place, wrong time, but definitely a Voldemort supporter now. So oh, yeah. That's true. You're right. Maybe he just did go go back into wherever the fuck room they have him stashed and just like in a giant goblet of wine. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So as you noted in your intro. It's very important that we all collectively had canon that when Sirius says that he's well hidden, he means that he and Remus are shacked up somewhere. I mean, literally, where? What else would be happening? Right. I know that. Wait, is it this book where he's like hiding in a cave near Hogsmeade? Yeah, but that's later, and he's not. I don't. He's not supposed to be there now. He goes to the cave later to be closer to Harry. Yeah, obviously, him and Remus are shacked up somewhere. Yes. Like, uh, there's no doubt in my mind. I hope they're on the seaside, just somewhere really cute. Okay, and along with this, I just want you to imagine Sirius being like, Mooney, let me show you what this little shit just wrote to me. (laughs) (laughs) And just like laughing, not like laughing, but being like, can you believe this? (laughs) Did he think this would work? It's very tender. Okay, so second Buffy reference of this of this episode which is I feel like Neville is kind of like the Jonathan in these early books where it's like it'll be a random scene where someone's being picked on or someone's doing a thing and it's just like always Neville oh yeah (laughs) like McGonagall's like yelling at Neville which leave him alone but it's just sort of like oh of course she's yelling at Neville (laughs) you know yep it's just like if it's a television show, you just always see Neville in the background being like, I don't know. Everyone else is flat and he's just like, wait, what's happening? You know, mm-hmm, just, mm-hmm. I don't know, just being very awkward and like cute in the background. You're just like, oh, that weird nerd. And it's like, oh, Neville. Yep. Obviously better than Jonathan uh, overall. but I want to talk about Madame Maxime for a bit here. Okay. So I want to start by talking about her appearance. We are given that there is not an inch difference in height between her and Hagrid, but that she somehow seems bigger because Harry isn't used to her, meaning that I I think that means that she's also like weight wise, shape wise, like similar to Hagrid. Also, she's wearing heels, which, as we all know. Oh, that's true. You can gain some extra inches wearing heels. Very true. But... I guess my point is, like, I want us all to release Madame Maxime from the movies. I think that they did a terrible job casting her. They sure did. I think we should be imagining her as, so she's wrapped in black satin and wearing a lot of big jewelry. And we should be imagining her looking similar to Ursula the Sea Witch. Like, very, like, swoopy, like, obviously... Ursula's dress is like her octopus body, but whatever. She's clearly wearing black satin if we really think about it. Mm-hmm. Very like busty, very curvy, not this like broomstick situation that's happening. No offense to broomsticks, but like 
I think that they did a bad job casting and like I want us to all head canon collectively someone much thicker and curvier for Madame Maxime. You know, honestly, I'm here for this. Great. I feel like I had always sort of had candor head when I was like envisioning her before the movies came out. I think I had never envisioned her as like being thin anyway. No, because she's I mean, Hagrid is described as being what? three times wider than the average adult person and Madame Maxime seems to be built along similar lines. So like, yeah, anyway, I think they did a bad job. Mm-hmm. And I want to uh, append to that. Some people have asked us about whether we're going to read Madame Maxime also as trans. She's described as having a handsome face and a deep voice. I vote no, because that creates like a very complicated sort of like is all giantism a metaphor for being trans and also because i think that having a handsome face and a deep voice is lesbian culture and i don't want to yeah, erase tr- that either <laughs> yeah truly i feel like meta maxine actually actually reminds me of the like giant vampire lady the internet has been thirsting over since this summer <laughs> the giant hat oh, from yeah, like yeah, whatever yeah. resident evil game that is that like you don't actually have to know anything about Resident Evil games, I don't really, to know that the internet is obsessed with this giant vampire. (laughs) Which I'm like, yes. (laughs) I approve of this so much. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just thought about, like, when I think about her deep voice, it makes me think about this listicle that I think was on Autostraddle of, like, the lesbians of Law & Order SVU sort of ranked, and for, I think it's Casey, one of the DAs, all of their lady DAs are actually I think all of their DAs are gay. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but the the redhead one, the description of why she's a lesbian is just lesbian voice. And that's the voice that I imagine Madame Maxime has. Is that like husky, but like I'm a fucking lawyer, like husky assertive voice. Yeah, nope. I hundred I am a hundred percent with you. Awesome. Please, listeners, let us know if there is a real person in the world. You could be like, like this, and we could be like, yes. Yeah, also, if any of you want to draw her and post it on Instagram and tag us, we will share it. Love it when people draw our headcanons. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to point out that in your mental image of all of the kids of the school out in the lawn, that McGonagall is like, hey, Fred, or... Sorry, whichever one of the twins it was. Straighten your hat. So they're all in their funny pointed hats. <laughs> I hate that they're wearing hats so much. <laughs> I just, I read that line. I'm like, I have to remind everyone that they're wearing very silly hats. Oh, no. Why, though? I don't know. Uh, okay. So... All right, I want to talk about the, like, house alignments of Bobaton and Durmstrang. Okay, yeah. So, as we all know, I don't know if we all know this, but in terms of Hogwarts houses and, like, how they align with the elements, Ravenclaw is air, Gryffindor is fire, Hufflepuff is earth, and Slytherin is water. The Bobaton kids show up on a flying carriage that is blue, which is the Ravenclaw color, 
And we will see them in the next chapter immediately choose to sit with the Ravenclaws. So they are like from jump, like given an association with Ravenclaw. And then Durmstrang shows up via the lake, which not only are Slytherin's water, but their house, their dorm is under the lake, which is where the Durmstrang ship appears from. And also, you know, they have like the goth common room and the Durmstrang ship is extremely goth so good yeah and again in the next chapter we will see them immediately sit with the slytherins and be like this is the slytherin school so i just think there's a lot going on here you know i actually i have a similar thing um that i was thinking about when i it occurred to me when i was reading sort of the descriptions of especially the durmstrang kids where Harry was like, you know, they all kind of look very similar height and like width, essentially. But it's like, oh, they're just like wearing really like heavy furs and like fur hats and whatever. And the whole kind of vibe of Bobaton and Durmstrang sort of reminds me of the very tropey image of like what elves and dwarfs look like in fantasy novels where you had these like beautiful ethereal creatures in silk. And then you had these like stocky, like, you know stocky and sort of like gruff kind of dwarves and that's just really the vibe of mm-hmm. both of these schools and i'm like i like, can't tell if it's intentional or not but it's very much like right it's like Hog- hogwarts are the humans and bobatons are the elves anyway it's just <laughs> very i don't know yeah i can see it there's it's very it's it's interesting that the the way that these schools are being you know differentiated from Hogwarts, because in reality, you take any two schools teaching similar curriculums with similar age students and put them together and they're going to have more in common than they have not, you know? Yeah. But I feel like it, it, the scoundrel tried really hard to be like, it's so different. Yeah. And I mean, so you haven't watched the fourth movie, but... I've seen all of the movies... I couldn't remember if you've seen the movies or not, but in the movies, they just make Bobatons an all-girls school and Dermshawn an all-boys school, which narratively, I think, is, like, a bad choice, but I feel like stylistically... Also, does it make sense? Unless you're just, like... It really doesn't make any sense. It's one of the weirdest choices I feel like they made. It's a very, like, weird hat choice to make. It also implies that there's another like all boys school in France and all girls school in question mark somewhere cold. Yeah. (laughs) But like those schools weren't invited for some reason. It's just very weird. I mean, the movies don't make any sense. I think if you haven't read the books, honestly, I think if you just watch the movies, I feel like you're not going to understand what's going on. And I, and I feel like that that's sort of the biggest thing that they're basically incomprehensible for a casual watcher. Mm-hmm. So, but also terrible if you've read the books and are a fan. It's just like a fail all across, honestly. Yep, I agree. But we're not we're not gonna get into that. We're gonna actually stay on the front page. Let's do it. What do you have next? Um, I just kind of can't believe that the merfolk were like cool with just because it's like Harry's this describing essentially a giant whirlpool in the middle of the lake and then a giant ship pops out uh-huh. and i'm like were the more folk really cool with that happening because like it seemed like it seems like a shitty thing to happen like 
in the middle of your underwater city or whatever. I agree. Yeah. I also was like, what is this doing to the ecosystem of the lake? Is the giant squid just like freaked out? Because like no one thought to tell a giant squid this shit was going to be happening. <laughs> Probably. Um, I'm actually done with this section. Uh, I have Okay, so I only have one more thing. Okay. Which is uh, Karkaroff being described fully as a gay Disney villain. Basically like... Jafar. Eastern European J- Jafar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like literally just like <laughs> weird flattery voice funny weird facial hair whatever the fuck a weak chin is i'm like that's not even hair that's that scoundrel poking through because it's like what does that even fucking mean it means like when your chin isn't like pronounced i honestly still don't know what because like you like you don't like you don't have it like it's just like like mark I, from er does that help <laughs> It doesn't, but I'm really excited that that is the example that you use. I'll just look it up on Google later. Okay. Um, and like he's basically wearing like a fox fur cloak if it's silver, probably fox fur. Hopefully not like snow leopard, but let's just go with fox fur. Okay. <laughs> Which just also feels like a very gay aesthetic. Mm-hmm. To have. Like your elegant fur cloak also matches the color. <laughs> and i'm just like uh just i mean really between this and the flying care just like what what kind of disney mishmash is, is happening that's true yeah i feel like since we're talking about it i just feel like we have to like note that the fact that his voice is described as fruity and unctuous is definitely some like homophobic bullshit yeah i i I feel like I've never realized until this reading where I'm like, his voice is described as fruity? (laughs) Everyone was just fine with this? None of of the editors were like, oh, that seems kind of iffy. I mean, I know it was like 1999 or 2000 or whatever, whenever the fuck this book came out, but Jesus fucking Christ. Yep. Welcome to the education section where we talk about this goddamn school. So I want to start with just, I feel like what is becoming a refrain on this show of like, fuck homework. Stop. Stop it. Stop giving so much homework. This is not good teaching. It's not good for child development. They have, this is too much homework. They are developing humans. They need to be making social connections and like hanging out and daydreaming and playing quidditch and like going outside and just being people they don't need to be doing classes and homework and nothing else and i'm really mad for them yeah it's really some it's really some bullshit and i think besides the homeworkers complete bullshit reason is i think this also kind of goes back to a thing that we talk about at least once a book, which is Hogwarts is not at all a conductive learning environment. And especially in the way that we see the past Harry's here, where there's always some like sort of moral, moral, mortal danger hanging over not only Harry, but like everyone in the school. And I'm like, how the fuck are these kids supposed to learn if they're worried about murder or serious black or whatever is petrifying all the kids going to come get them? 
And so it's like, and so teachers are just like, we'll just cram a bunch of homework into this year to prepare you for your owls. No, <laughs> this is not the way. It's not. Oh, I hate it. Yeah. I'm team no homework. If you want them to know it, teach it in class. I am also, I'm also team no homework as someone who never did any of my homework. Same. Until the very last minute. <laughs> <sighs> All right. What's your first thing here? I'm trying to see how I want to phrase this. So like something that stands out for Harry is that they need to read three additional books about the summoning spell, mm-hmm. which we, we get in this book. We get Asio. And it's actually really frustrating because I'm just like, for what? Like, is this charm theory? Like, we, of course, don't get any of that when Hermione's trying to cram this all into Harry's brain overnight in the library before the first task. But I'm just like, wh- like, what do you need? Because all we ever see Harry is just like, raise your wand and say Asio and hope that it, you're, you know, your shit's going to show up. And mm-hmm. I'm like, do you need three books of theory for that? Or is Harry just sort of like brute forcing it just because he's so, he has such innate powerful magic or something i mean i think it's just one of the major writing inconsistencies of this book is like there isn't really ever evidence that you actually need to to read about any of this stuff or like know you know it's it's not like the magicians right where it's like you have to learn these like very you have to learn all these languages and these very precise finger movements and like it's very complicated to do magic. This really just shows us magic being very straightforward to do with these then offhand comments about, oh yeah, read three books to be able to do a single spell. And you just can't have it both ways. And I think it's very frustrating. Which of course, clearly Harry isn't reading because we don't ever get any information by any of this stuff. I mean, I think he read them. He skimmed. He he skimmed it. Okay, so... I've said a couple times uh, recently when we've talked about, you know, Dumbledore saying he should give Trelawney a raise where I'm like, don't give her a raise. She's a really bad teacher. I feel like all of the evidence for that is given to us in this chapter when she gives Ron and Harry full points for their homework that they fully made up. That is checkable. Like, yeah, she she should know what their star charts are and whether or not what they're saying is true because it's, you know, they're saying, Oh, I'll be likely I'll be in at risk of burns because of Mars conjuncting, whatever she can look, she should know if Mars is conjuncting whatever on that day. So the fact that she's just like, Oh wow, it's tragic full points. Let me read this to the class is like, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. That's really bad teaching. And I am very upset about it. Maybe Trelawney's just like, I don't know, smoking a bunch of weed and having these classes and it's just like, whatever. Maybe. That sucks. I really don't I mean, like it's it. Not, she's, she, is not, she is not a good teacher. For, and exactly for that. It's right. You can't check all of that stuff. And she clearly is not. And it's like, but why aren't you? Right. You clearly are only teaching a handful of students a year. And you could easily have a cheat sheet for this. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah, friends can't get here soon enough, in my opinion. Oh, friends. Yeah. Uh, so Snape is planning on poisoning his students to test their antidotes. I mean, sure, I know he probably has some sort of like 
universal antidote ready for in case their antidotes don't work, whatever. That does not actually matter. This is awful, and I think it's made more awful in the part where they see that class is going to get out early on the 30th, and... Harry's like, oh, great, like, it's potions that day. Snape Snape won't have time to poison us all. Just totally casual, totally chill. And you're like, this is the learning environment that, that you are in, Harry Potter, is that you can casually say, my teacher will not have time to poison all of us. <sighs> I just, I have this in politics, but just, just. The, just all of the safety violations at Hogwarts is just out of control. <laughs> it is. It's like between this and almost, and almost being squished by peas, it's like, should you be worried about Voldemort? Because you almost die. It seems like <laughs> a couple times a week just going, being a regular student at Hogwarts. That's true. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. Okay. I'll try to be brief. Ben's apparently still just going on about goblins because he sucks. Uh, Filch is being so ferocious to the students that he gives two 11-year-olds breakdowns because he's so mean to them for not wiping their feet. Uh, As you mentioned earlier, McGonagall is so nasty to Neville. Um, Just uh, being cruel isn't necessary, but it's really over the smallest piece of bullshit right i wrote if your students can't do the work you've assigned that's a you problem ma'am right like that's not on neville who's teaching him how to do a switching spell you cool you why don't you not demonstrate that he can't do it in front of the fucking delegations from bobaton i feel like i feel like unfortunately sometimes what happens with neville is like this is an actually very realistic portrayal of what it's like to have an undiagnosed learning disability <laughs> Yeah, no, totally. And be in school where you're like, I don't know why you're yelling at me. I don't know why this isn't working. I don't know what to tell you. Yep. You're in charge. Right? Yep. Uh, I was very mad. I was also very mad. I'm like, leave Neville alone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then last thing. Did you catch that we learned in this chapter that apparently their classes usually go until 6 p.m.? Oh, shit. I didn't catch that. So they... This, it says the delegates are going to arrive at six. Classes will end half an hour early. We see them get out of class half an hour early. All they have time to do is go to their dorms, put their stuff away, and go back out to the entrance hall. I assume that means that takes half an hour, ending at six. So they have class from like nine to six with like a lunch break? Apparently. That's a long, that's like a full ass day of work. That's <laughs> too long. I feel like for that much time, you shouldn't be giving any homework. That's enough time for someone to have fucking study hall or whatever and have them do your homework. Yep. Or like a lab, essentially, which I feel like there's a lot of classes IRL where it's like you should have like a lab hour for like research or whatever, not not just not just STEM, essentially. But why the fuck isn't there a potions lab or like transfiguration lab that I feel that would make so much that would be so much more conductive. (laughs) the learning environment than having to read three books about summoning charms you could teach summoning charms have lunch have charms lab where you're fucking trying to do that shit 
Yeah, I mean, and I agree. I fully agree because, it, yeah, they're always learning about like the properties of the thing in their homework, and then they're doing the practical applications in class, and it's like that should just be two separate classes. And if they're going till six, what is what is your excuse? Even factoring in the seems like very limited amount of time you take to get from one end of a literal fucking castle to another that has trick staircases and moving staircases and like towers with probably 80,000 stairs in it. Yeah. If you couldn't tell already, this is not the fictional world I would want to become a part of if it was choice. Hell no. Absolutely not. Nope. If I got into Hogwarts, I would be like, oh, you know what? I think I'm actually going to find a tutor. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks anyway. (laughs) You just put no thanks on your Hogwarts acceptance letter and give it back to the owl. (laughs) Please can't get me in touch with Remus Lupin. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez. Welcome. To the politics section, where we talk about things that are fucked up. Well, there's so much fucked up shit. Uh Uh-huh. Would you like to start? I would like to start. So, uh, listeners, I've been actually getting construction safety training this past couple of days of when we're recording. And so all I can say is Hermione literally is like, Moody, this is a clear OSHA violation. And she is right. (laughs) You are not only using an illegal curse on students, like you're physically injuring them. Harry is like leaves class with busted up knees. I know that he's 14. And when you're younger, your body is way more flexible (laughs) and able to take, you know, like you get a couple bangs, you like hit your knee on a chair or whatever. It's fine. But he like rammed his knees into a wooden desk and who knows what else. Like he's in pain. Mm-hmm. And poor Neville, if he's doing this outrageous gymnastics under the Imperius Kurtz, he's probably hella sore. Mm-hmm. No, no stretching, no warm up, just straight from being, I'm sitting at my desk to I'm doing backflips <laughs> in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Like this is fucked up. Even if I have to admit, this is a very good lesson for these kids to have. It's still fucked up. Like, it's literally useful for the upcoming civil war that's about to happen in the, like, witching world. Yeah. Do you think that there's a not fucked up way that this could have happened? Yes. I think that, I think that Moody or whoever, I feel like if they would have gotten the reading first, time to be like, this is going to happen on this day, for for the kids to prepare themselves, for them to be like, if you don't actually physically want to do this. You can actually leave and not this sort of half-ass, oh, well, there's the door if you want to leave. And it's like, that's not even, that's not a choice. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not going to make that choice to do that, even if you feel uncomfortable about it, which Hermione clearly does. But she's not going to be like, well, it's the lesson. I'm not going to leave class and not learn a thing. Right. You know? And if then if you're going to do it in the classroom environment, you're not going to have them jumping around or trying to jump on a desk you're gonna just be like give me a thumbs up or something like something that's not gonna put them in physical harm yeah and also like not humiliate them probably also would be good yeah also doesn't this just seem like permission slip territory you need permission to go to the fucking village (laughs) that hogwarts has a road to from this school you don't need a permission from some pt from like some 
like rando teacher who is may or may not be qualified to teach to put your kids under the imperious curse. Are you shitting me? <laughs> oh yeah. Hogwarts, yikes. <laughs> Just... <laughs> oh jeez. Um yeah, I'm just I'm very upset, even though I'm like, oh, this is useful knowledge, but just the way that they go about it is real fucked up. Yeah. Um, okay, so Hermione gets mad uh, that Harry has lied to Sirius, and she's trying to argue with Harry about whether or not what he's done is right, basically, and we get this line, Drop it, said Ron sharply to Hermione, and for once, Hermione heeded him and fell silent. I'm just so mad. <laughs> I'm just so mad about it. I mean, I think that I I feel like there's there's times in every friendship when like saying drop it sharply to someone will occur and like need to happen, probably. Yeah. This is not one of them, you know? It's I I, I don't think that it's one of them. I think that it's this is a reasonable conversation for the two of them to have i think the thing that makes me most angry is the for once hermione heeded him and fell silent it implies that this happens a lot heeded feels a lot like obeyed yeah yeah i feel like it's very uh scoundrelly the way that this is written (laughs) yes because i think that you could have written this differently where it's like making it clear that like, say, for instance, Ron is picked up that, like, Harry is, like, upset and Hermione is more concerned about, you know, him lying to Sirius. And Ron is more like, maybe we should drop it because Harry's, like, really upset by this. And there's a way to write that where it doesn't feel like, oh, just Hermione's just being a shrew again, but this time she shut up, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Which is basically how this, this set, these, that sentence and a half feels like. Or two sentences or whatever. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you're totally right. And I think it might even come across better if, like, we saw Ron picking up on other people's emotions ever. Mm-hmm. And so when I was taking my notes for this chapter, I posted a, like, picture of that on Instagram. And someone responded to the story and was like, Hermione is too good for Ron and sometimes Harry. And I... I was like, this is Harry's point of view. That means the for once Hermione heeded him is Harry's perspective on how Hermione should respond to being snapped at and told to shut up by Ron. So I just am like, no, she's she's too good for both of them. Like Harry also is has a very shitty perspective about the value of Hermione's opinion and how she interacts with the world. Right, and she's only even saying, starting to say this shit because she fucking cares about you, Harry. Right. All right. I just want to say that Hermione is right about Hogwarts of History being biased as fuck. Oh, yeah. And her anger about that is totally justified. Like, a thousand pages of text about the history of Hogwarts, and, right, not one mention of all of the slave labor that goes to run hogwarts as an institution essentially like when did that happen was that all like from jump they were just using all these house elves so many history books are like that (laughs) 
And I'm just like, I don't know. Clearly the witching world needs a uh, Hogwarts of people's history. Or a uh, non, whatever we decide to call magical beings. Other magical people. Uh, Hogwarts and other magical people history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what? It also says something really important about how people really think about house elf labor because if it's something too shameful to include in your extremely extensive history book even while the practice is still happening and is generally accepted by society it's probably not as okay as everyone is trying to convince Hermione that it is oh shit you're right if that history goes back a thousand years it might include like maybe the maybe the spell or whatever magic that put house elves in the position to be quote unquote happily enslaved happened at Hogwarts, you know? Yeah. Right, because why would you even need like why not just pay some witches to do this? Right. Or have the students do it. Or have the students do some of this shit. Yeah. They're not they're not making their own beds. They're like they're like you have a wand. Yeah. <laughs> Just wave your wand and right. I don't know. Light your own fire. It's like what? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the sort of why house elves seems like a very important question that would be in Hogwarts of history. Mm-hmm. But you're right, it's not there. So sounds like it was some shady shit then, huh? Sure does. It also makes you wonder what else isn't in Hogwarts of history, you know? Yes. <laughs> sure, it sure does. Uh, I'm sure also a lot of, uh, fucked up questionable ass things. Yep. Yeah. So I guess sort of keeping on the house elf front and also sort of my last point about Ron and Harry sucking you, the, the, the description that we get of the relationship that Ron and Harry are having with Hermione's passion project right now is really bad friending. Harry's like, she like literally won't shut up even though we like have shown no enthusiasm for what she's doing and like we gave her our sickles just to get her to shut up but like we wasted them because you know she didn't and it's like what kind of friend are you no this is something that your best friend is deeply passionate about you should listen you should engage you should read some of the stuff that she's reading you should see like why does this matter to her and like probably find a way to make it matter to you too because literally this is like one of the two most important people in your life right someone told me years ago this someone i knew who was a dj who was like yeah i've basically stopped inviting my friends to my whatever parties or whatever i'm djing because they would just never show up Mm. and I feel like, you know, a couple other folks were like, yeah, like, that just seems to, like, happen all the time. And I'm like, that's so weird and fucked up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then it's kind of like, I don't know. And I I guess it just makes me wonder sometimes where it's like, maybe a, like, inclination where it's like, oh, well, like, I know you and and we're already close. Like, I don't necessarily need to listen to you about this, like, passion project or, like, go to this or, like, engage with this thing that you're doing and i don't and i'm not necessarily saying that is right or wrong but i feel like i've definitely known people who have done that and like i've 
also kind of done that myself sometimes where it's kind of like you know one of my best friends is a dj and it's like i don't necessarily always go to his his sets his parties even though it's like i could and i'm not doing any in this and I, I don't know it's like i think it's weird and i don't know what it is where it's like it sometimes feels easier to support people that you're like maybe like acquaintances with or like whatever because it's just kind of like i really don't know how to describe it and I think you're still right that, like, Harry and Ron's attitude is still, like, really shitty. Because they didn't have to be, like, outwardly mean about it. It was just kind of the vibe that we're getting. Like, they're mm-hmm. sort of, like, outwardly just, like, ugh, whatever, Hermione. And they could at least be, like, if they're not going to, like, be super engaged with it, they could at least be more supportive of her. Right. Even if they're, like, I actually, like, I don't really care, but I care about you and, like, you're into this thing, so... Yeah, and I also just feel like this is a thing that she wants to talk about. It's not like she's asking them to, like, go do a thing. They're just, like, shutting her down. And, you know, does she fucking tolerate Harry talking about Quidditch? Because if so, does she, like, show interest and support, even though Hermione clearly doesn't fucking care about Quidditch? Um, she sure does. Right. And I think that's actually part of a larger issue where it's, like... Besides this and learning, we, like, don't really know any of other of Hermione's interests. Because it's, like, if Hermione talks about it, Harry clearly isn't paying attention. And I would bet money that, like, Ron is not paying attention at all. No. You know? Which is fucked up. They take her for granted and they don't deserve her. Hermione saves Harry's ass at least three times every fucking book since she was 11. Like, dude, what? Yeah. Is very Leo of him, though, to be like, no, <laughs> everything's about me all the time. If it's not about me, I don't care. I think it's funny that the scoundrel made all of her favorite characters Leos because she's a Leo. And it's like, that is literally the most Leo thing you could possibly do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Now I'm like, how many Leos have I ever written about? And I'm like, I don't know. Have you ever written about like if I like if I'm like writing like fan fiction, like let me crawl in this person's head. I'm like, are they ever a Leo? I don't know. Oh, I should go. I should investigate this. Mm-hmm. What are the types of per- people that I like to write about? <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> All right, staying on the the house elf thing for a second. George tells Hermione that the house elves are happy, and she says they're uneducated and brainwashed. These are both very problematic. Oh, yeah. Those are both fu- fucking bad takes. I forgot I actually had a bit about that. How they're like, no, those are both incorrect takes to have. Yeah. No, please say what, what you wanted to say about it. Oh, no. I just I just had it as literally a fucking bad take. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, we've talked a lot about how this is a failed allegory because it like doesn't go anywhere and at no point. This could be really an interesting thing to have in the book if we found out that there was some, like, centuries-old dark magic that was making the house elves happy, right? And it made me think about the Ood in Doctor Who, Mm. which, for anyone who hasn't watched Doctor Who, the Ood are, like, a quote-unquote slave race. They work for people. Work for implies payment. So no, they're enslaved by people, but they're like happy about it. And they have these like communication devices that are wired into their brains that allow them to communicate with the people around them. 
we meet them, I think, once where it's just like, yeah, whatever, basic slave race. And then there's this offhand comment where like Rose is like offended and they're like, oh, LOL, are you like one of those friends of the Ood? And then the next time we meet them, we find out like, why are the Ood happy to be enslaved? And it's like, oh, humans found them on their home planet and like they're born with a secondary brain that they hold in their hands. And so they're like inherently completely peaceful and like unable to even think of the idea of needing to protect themselves. And they have this like central hive brain, right? That allows them to communicate telepathically basically. And so the humans like stole the central brain and put it in a you know prison and then they cut out the external brain from the ood and replace it with this communication device and so they are every ood that's been you know surgically altered is totally happy to be enslaved it's not their natural state to be happy to be enslaved humans did something terrible to make that happen and it's like reversible by people being outraged and doing something about it if we had something like that with the house elves, if that was built into the story, was Hermione uncovering this terrible thing that had happened and like her and Dobby working together to undo this curse that had been placed on the house elves and the house elves fucking rising up. And like, I mean, in that episode of Doctor Who, the Ood kill a bunch of people. Good for them. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would, I would, I would really be much more here for this being in the series if we got something like that right or just even some sort of like complexity with the house elves where it's like you know they're all their own beings with their own like different thoughts and feelings and if it was like even a more complex issue than just like they're just happy to be enslaved if they're kind of like you know this is fun but we really want x y and z and we're not getting it hermione could be like yes this is the thing we can get them whatever but it's not complex it's just very much like actually the elves are very happy to be enslaved and you're like no Mm -hmm. that's not how this narrative is gonna go that's not how this narrative should ever be (laughs) this should never be the the end point of this sort of narrative right because it literally doesn't it the book ends the series ends and it's like yep still still have enslaved house elves lol hermione was wrong this whole time it's very much like, I don't know. I feel like this is some shit you would see in a just really ignorant, racist fucking video about how, like, listen, uh, black people really liked being enslaved. Uh, Civil War is about states' rights, uh, you know. <laughs> yep. Or something that you see in, like, Birth of a Nation or something, where it's like, and being enslaved is great. You're just like, no, this is this is not the side of history you want to be aligned on, which... In retrospect, I guess should have been <laughs> should have been a red flag, a giant red flag. Yep. All right. Um, last thing, transfiguration. It's fucked up. Yeah. How does how does anyone subdue a raccoon? <laughs> I'm like, are you covered in scratches now? <laughs> Do you guys need rabies shots? <laughs> because how are you? Tra- like, okay, like a hedgehog and like a mouse and like whatever these small animals are doing. It's fucked up, but you could put like a hedgehog in a box. Raccoons have fucking thumbs and they're smart. They're going to crawl out of anything you're containing them in and try to claw your face off. I know. 
Yeah, and then just the part with like Dean's uh pincushion that is still a hedgehog that is curling up in fright when you approach it with a pin. That's literally animal cruelty. Right? It's so fucked up. And it also makes me think about this whole, like, they probably are still self-aware animals when they're pin cushions. Because that really makes it feel like what happens when you fully transfigured it into a pin cushion is that you have immobilized the hedgehog. Not that you have ceased it being a hedgehog. Okay. All right. Okay. Wait. I just had a thought. Because I've been thinking about this. It's like, of course... None of the other witches besides Hermione have any empathy for the house elves. If mm. no one has any empathy for these animals are transfiguring on a daily, not daily, weekly basis at Hogwarts for like seven years. And it's like, hmm, I wonder why you're having a giant empathy problem where you have one evil house and all of these dark wizards trying to murder people. Mm. Like you're in, in no place. Is Hogwarts at all attempting to teach anyone empathy? No. Um, and I don't know. I think about this a lot because I'm just like hanging around a, a bunch of cis-het dudes is not a thing I've done in a really long time. And I'm just like, wow, y'all are just really cruel <laughs> and apathetic just casually. And everyone's just okay with this. And I'm like, like, fuck whatever we're teaching in school. We should be teaching empathy. <laughs> like, clearly this is like the most important thing people should be learning. <laughs> and like history. History and empathy. <laughs> and those really should, like, go hand go in hand together. real solidly. Yeah. 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 And so, but not talking about the real, I mean, talking about the real world. But it in, in this specific place, it's like, you have magic. You could very easily be teaching empathy or by the very least not transfiguring things that are alive into things that are immobile and presumably can still feel being Sealed with pins, with push pins. Right. You know? And it's like, oh, it's no wonder Hermione is having a hard time getting people to care about house elves. It's like, I don't know. It feels like any other sort of social justice cause that in the real world you're trying to be like, please care about racism and homelessness and not spreading COVID around. It's like, oh, everyone just, a lot of people just lack empathy. Mm -hmm. And you're like, who made you this way? (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good. And it's like, oh, society, our shitty, shitty, cruel society, right? And our shitty education system, and like our shitty social safety net that doesn't let people provide for their families, and like I don't know, it's just so many things. I'm just like, wow, the patriarchy. Also, the patriarchy. Yeah, I feel like toxic masculinity. Yeah, is also a thing that removes empathy. So, yep. And I guess going back to, you know, last episode, we see Hermione totally fine here with the transfiguring hedgehogs into pincushions. And I just think it would be so much better if we had a series with no house elves and Hermione instead outraged at McGonagall for transfiguring animals into pincushions. That would be so much better. Yeah. And would be, I feel like it wouldn't feel so heavy isn't the word I want loaded and it would feel very believable because i feel like kind of i mean it really kind of depends on, on the kid but like you know i would say somewhere between like seven and 15 is like when a lot of people are like man eating animals is kind of fucked up mm-hmm. essentially and i so i feel like it would be very 
it would feel very realistic for Hermione to be like, why are we transferring these hedgehogs into pin cushions? You know? Yeah. Do we always have to be using a barrel full of toads and potions? Are you sure? Right. And I think it could also be like, it just would be so much better if everyone's, you know, apathy towards her cause was more rooted in like, you know, it's magic. Like we can't control the magic. And then Hermione could like find allies who are like, actually, I have found alternatives and whatever. And then that could just be a really interesting sort of way that she could actually implement change in a way that's not fucked up. And like, right. She could. Yeah. Cause I, f- I feel like if that was the sort of plot line, she would, I feel like she could definitely find kids for various reasons. Her like, yeah, actually I'm pretty uncomfortable with, I don't know having to gut animals and potions right. <laughs> constantly. Which, even as someone who eats meat, is, I don't know, even, like, having to, like, cut open, like, a chicken or a rabbit and, like, remove all its organs is pretty fucking gross. Yeah. Cool. We've been recording for so long. I mean, I can't say I'm shocked. I feel like this, no, this season is just going to be progressively longer and longer episodes. Yeah. <sighs> Welcome to Advertisements, where we ask for your support and then make you laugh. I want you to close your eyes and travel back in time to the moment you first heard about the Gailey Prophet. Where were you? Who told you about it? Focus on that moment. Hold it in your mind's eye and in your heart. Fully appreciate where that moment led you. Here. Now. Listening to a silly ad created just for you. Now. Think about the fact that it's winter, the daylight hours are short, and we're all dragging a bit. Think about the people you love. Don't you want to give them the gift of experiencing a moment like that? Wouldn't you love to be the friend that they think about when they catch up to this very episode of the podcast and do their own reflection? Think about how meta that moment will be. (laughs) Now, take a deep breath, relax your jaw and your shoulders, and then do one of the following things. Tell three friends about our show, post about our show on your social media, leave us a glowing five-star review on iTunes, or all of the above. Now pat yourself on the back because you are such a good friend and know that we are so thankful for your support. That was so nice. I love that ad. Thank you. Next up. We've all been there. You sit down to start a sewing project and you can't find your pincushion anywhere. Of course, your first thought would be to head out to the garden to summon a hedgehog to transfigure into a replacement. (laughs) But what if we told you that there was a better solution? Introducing the Vegan Guide to Transfiguration Alternatives, (laughs) a comprehensive compendium for cruelty-free transfiguration. Did you know that you can transfigure yourself that pincushion using a thistle? You can! Order the Vegan Guide to Transfiguration Alternatives today to learn how. And if you order in the next 20 minutes, we will also send you the Vegan Guide to Ethical Potion Making completely free of charge. The Vegan Guide series will transfigure the way you think about magic. We guarantee it. (laughs) Oh my god, sorry. That just reminds me that sometimes pincushions come, they look like little tomatoes. Uh You could just transfigure a tomato into a little tomato pincushion. That would have been really good i felt like i had to use a spiky plant because they use a spiky animal no no i think the thistle makes a lot of sense but the tomato probably would have been funnier that's fine it was still very funny thank you 
Welcome to Editorials, where we rant about stuff. We've already done so much (laughs) (laughs) Your turn. All right. Uh, I just want to talk about Harry's very pathetic attempts to keep serious wherever the fuck he is at right now. And it's like, Harry, your heart's in the right place, but like, let someone take care of you. And it's like, I understand his concern, but I'm like, Sirius can make his own decisions. It's it's okay. Mm-hmm. I think it, it makes a lot of sense to me that Harry feels that level of responsibility for Sirius's behavior. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. And I think on top of sort of Harry used to dealing with his problems on his own where he's like no it's not not a big deal at all no nope nope i'm totally fine it's all right yeah you don't need to freak out about it yeah when it's like i feel like Sirius is even though it's like it's obviously putting him in danger i understand the impulse because i feel like i would probably make the exact same decision <laughs> as serious or as harry yeah as serious to be like oh your scar is hurting i'm like Hearing a bunch of weird shit already. It's kind of like, something weird's going on. I should probably make sure that Voldemort doesn't try to kill you again. Mm -hmm. He's such a good dad. I know. (sighs) Yeah. So Ron calls Cedric an idiot. And Hermione says, he's not an idiot. She's heard he's a really good student. And he's a prefect. The book goes on, or Harry goes on to say... As if that settled the matter. Because it does. And actually, yeah, it does. Ma- matter <laughs> settled. Like, <laughs> what? I just... <laughs> yeah. Though I guess we do see in book six that Dumbledore's pretty arbitrary about who he's giving these prefect badges to. <laughs> Quite so. I mean, there are <laughs> limited options in each. I know, but I'm kind of like... And I'm sorry to all my Ron fans out there. I do not think Ron should have been a prefect in books. Oh my god. Dumbledore not making Neville a prefect is one of his biggest crimes. And his crimes it's are such, many. It's such bullshit. Oh yeah. There will be a lot of talk about that when we when we get there. Four years from now. So long from now. <laughs> <sighs> so I just want to talk a little bit about what happens when Harry and Ron are put under the Imperius curse where, so we get Harry who has this sort of, I don't know what you want to call it, inner strength, like kind of strength of will where he's like, actually, why should I listen to this weird voice and this like floaty drug haze I'm in? I don't need to do that. That seems weird. Mm-hmm. And... I just find it, like, so interesting, especially where we have... So some of the kids, you know, for no reason can't fight it or don't fight it. And they're just hopping around or back flipping around. And then we have Ron, who clearly has a higher sensitivity to it, where he's still hopping even after the curse is lifted. Mm -hmm. You know? And I just find... I find that whole thing very interesting. But also it's kind of, like, a little bit, like gonna go on limb and say this is probably the first time any of these kids have been put under the Imperius curse yeah so so we have this sort of like differences in what in like you know susceptibility or fighting it or whatever which hopefully you can be taught to like just still be able to throw it off anyway i would hope mm-hmm. but it's just like i don't know 
It's just something. It's just something I'm just kind of like, huh, about. I want to come back to the Harry part. It sounds from the the way that the chapter is written that Ron is put under the curse after Harry, and I would guess that all of the kids after Harry, their little voice is gonna be much stronger. Of like. Like, did the kids before Harry even know that they were supposed to be fighting it off? Or did they just think that it was like, you're supposed to learn what it feels like? Oh, that's a good point. That's true, because he, he doesn't seem to be giving them any instruction. He's just like, I'm just going to do this thing now. Right. So if Ron's really trying to fight it because he saw Harry fight it, I think it makes sense that he would have sort of after effects, maybe, because... That seems like it would maybe fuck you up more than just having like been put under it and then have it taken off. Mm. Oh, okay. I see. That makes a lot of sense. As to why Harry can just shake it off is like, that's the question, you know? I don't know. I mean, he's the hero. (laughs) I mean, I honestly just don't have like he has this inner strength that helps him persevere, you know? Yeah. I feel like someone's going to email us and be like, it's because of Voldemort's soul. Like, the Imperious Curse isn't put on Voldemort's soul, so that can fight against it. I mean, I guess I just don't know if that voice in his brain is, like, his soul or just, like, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't making that argument. I feel like anytime we're like, why Harry this? Someone emails us and is like, because Voldemort. Oh, that's fair. No, that's fair. Which is fine, people. You can keep emailing us that. that I'm not criticizing you. Harry's just more suspicious than all other kids. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I don't know. It just seems like if a 14-year-old can fight off the fucking Imperius curse, then, like, everyone, you know, I feel like that sounds offensive to 14-year-olds. But, you know, he's, like, much less experienced. I guess I just don't feel like we ever hear about anyone else ever being able to fight the Imperius curse. And it seems weird to me that Harry can. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It feels it feels weird because it's like, right, like Harry... Or maybe we just don't see adults who can fight it all because maybe they just, then the Death Eaters just killed him at that point. I mean, we see that, like, both fake Moody and his dad, both, like, after a long period of time of being under the curse, are able to fight it off. But it's like, Harry can fight it because Moody's like, jump on the desk, and Harry's like... Mm. That seems weird. I guess I don't want to. And like people were imperious cursed to like murder their families. And if it is just like a small voice in your head being like, I don't know about that. It seems like a lot more people would be fighting this curse off when being told to do things that are fundamentally opposed to what they believe in as people. So now I want to propose that Moody is half-acidly casting it on harry to give harry a false sense of self-importance and confidence hmm. you know that actually is a good idea because i was just thinking i'm like well then if you posit that then maybe it's just like if you were using the paris curse like with all of your might you, you would just be in a stone cloud of happiness and there, you, there wouldn't even be a tiny voice right you'd just be a, like do that thing and you're like all right you know right you're just so relaxed man it's so chill <laughs> Yeah, or you don't even know what you're what you're doing, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what if... I mean, I guess that makes sense that he'd be like, oh, Harry, you can, like, shake off the Imperius curse, and then Harry, like, goes out and interacts with the Death Eater and is like, I'm not even worried about being Imperia, and then he's like, oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. It could be, it could be, like, a long game setting Harry up to be more vulnerable to it, maybe. 
Though he does shake off Voldemort, but oh, does he? I will say that's like Voldemort, like right out of the soup of constructing a new body. <laughs> so maybe he's just mm. like you're still. He summons that magic hand for Pettigrew right away. No, you're right. So he really can shake it off. Mm. Yeah, this really just. It really does. It really is not a good take for everyone who's been imperioed ever, which is clearly happening. Yeah. Unless that bit of Voldemort's soul <laughs> makes it hard for him to imperio hair because it's like imperioing yourself. Or like the soul isn't under the imperious curse, you know? So there's like mm-hmm. this section of Harry that isn't. Okay, but also, what if <laughs> like Harry's. Like, what if it's, like, mental illness as protection from the Imperius curse because, like, his, like, dopamine pathways are, or something are, like, shut down. And so the Imperius curse can't, like, induce as strong of a bliss state in Harry. So he just, like, he's, like, kind of feeling it, but, like, not nearly to the extent that everyone else is feeling it. I'm suspicious of feeling this happy. What is wrong? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, yeah hashtag mood oh uh, yep <laughs> <sighs> all right everyone you can write to us about why you think harry can shake this off including your theories about how voldemort's soul is impacting the situation we'll return to this at the end of the book is it my turn uh yes because that was my initial question okay so I'd like to remind everyone that at this point in the series, I believe we are in 1994, question mark, is that right? 94, 95, something like that. And fucking McGonagall has the audacity to call Parvati's butterfly hair clip ridiculous. There was no one not wearing a butterfly hair clip in the mid-late 90s. Not one single human being on this planet. Everyone had a butterfly <laughs> hair clip. At least one. Usually more like 12. Yeah. I know, it was so weird. I'm just like, you're wearing a fucking pointed hat and that is a thing you <laughs> reprimand her about. Also, I bet it was beautiful. I bet she enchanted sure her was... butterfly hair clip. I'm sure she did. I'm sure it looked great. Welcome to the health and science section, where we talk about magic and science and magical science. Well, I have so many things to say about the Bobaton flying horses. Cool. <laughs> I'm so ready. All right. So first to start off, if for folks that are not horse people or went through a horse phase, uh, Palomino horses are, they have gold color coats and they have white tails and white manes. So very beautiful. Probably in this instance, possibly white feathers. I don't know. Or a white gold mix of feathers. But uh, I really heard it to get into about answering the question, why the fuck do they drink only single malt whiskey? Dehydrated horses. (laughs) So weird. Uh, All right. So my first thought initially is that these must be like specialized horses, like a like a racehorse, because they must have been like bred to be drinking this. Because it's not like they're just whiskey in the wild, you know. You're not having 
wild flying horses like a thousand years ago coming across barrels of whiskey to drink. So it's like, what the fuck is going on? But so what I found out, though, is that it's actually kind of common for European racehorses to be given beer with their food. Uh, A lot of internet sites said Guinness (laughs) specifically (laughs) or whatever. Nutrient-dense, low alcohol by volume. Makes sense. Yeah, nutrient-dense. It's high in calories. And um, racehorses are given beer, not like all the time, but like occasionally, just because uh, racehorses are bred to run. They use a lot of energy. They need actually twice as much calories as a regular horse does. So, So correction for this would be if this is a nutrient thing that they need, they should be drinking beer and not whiskey because whiskey does not have the same it doesn't have the same calorie count as beer does right and like beer also has like other like vitamins because it's like made from like the shit that horses eat it's made it's just fermented grain and like oats and stuff and i mean whiskey is also made from grain but it's like distilled and it's just it's not like beer is like drinking a glass of bread mm-hmm. <laughs> whiskey is not right uh so perceivably since these are flying horses they're pretty similar to a racehorse they're obviously expending a lot of energy with their magic they should be given beer to drink but they're not so then i was like well then how the fuck much whiskey is this so (laughs) this is my rabbit hole math all right so uh they're the size of elephants elephants drink about 225 liters of water a day and they need seventy thousand calories a day all right that's a racehorses lot of, a lot of calories racehorses on the other hand twice as much as regular horses so racehorses need thirty five thousand calories a day and horses normally drink about 30 to 50 liters of water a day so if we have elephant sized athletic horses that are expending a lot of energy i mean you know they're they're probably drinking 100, if not 200 liters of liquid a day, and they need a shit ton of calories. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you have a barrel of whiskey from like at a distillery, your barrel aging whiskey, that is about 200 liters of whiskey, which is 53 gallons of liquid a day. So we could probably guess that uh, it, to feed, to not quite water, but to booze up these horses, you would probably go through... Anywhere from like half a barrel to a barrel of whiskey a day per horse. Mm-hmm. So that's 12 barrels of whiskey <laughs> a day. Where in the fuck is all of this booze? Where is this whiskey coming from? Refilling. Is there like a, is there a secret <laughs> distillery under Hogwarts? <laughs> and these horses are here, what is that, from October to like May, right? That's a shit ton of alcohol. <laughs> yep. It's got to be a refilling charms. I would hope so, but also still, where is all this alcohol going? These horses are the probably most expensive. This is probably <laughs> horses became a dragon. I'm th- I'm thinking because like there's plenty of protein in the world you can feed to a dragon. You have to distill, and like single malt. I mean, that's the age. <laughs> like this is not just like well well whiskey. Truly, this is like aged alcohol that takes time <laughs> it's just an unfathomable amount of alcohol yep when instead the kids be drinking a trough of like you know a guinness oatmeal or it's just guinness and oats and whatever the fuck barley instead 
which would make more sense for a flying horse. So, yeah, I went on a journey. I love that. <laughs> I, that's incredible. And I'm like, if nothing else, so glad that I now know that racehorses drink beer. Like that makes me very happy to know. Um, speaking of magical animals, though, I wanted to talk about a cockatrice. I don't know if that's how you say that, but let's let's pretend. Yeah. So sometimes a cockatrice and a basilisk are the same thing. They're used interchangeably. Sometimes a cockatrice is a like bird snake that's born from a chicken egg hatched under a reptile Whereas a basilisk is a snake snake born from a snake egg hatched under a chicken. So like either they're the same thing or they're sort of like the opposites of one another, I guess. Um, But they're both like snake chicken hybrids. And I think they both are supposed to have the same powers. Like using a cockatrice in the Triwizard Tournament is like loosing a fucking basilisk. (laughs) On these, these these teenagers and apparently also the heads of all of the schools. You mean these murder dinosaurs? <laughs> Which is what a chicken and a snake just sounds like. Yes. Yeah, I found some pictures of cockatrices on the internet, by which I mean illustrations, obviously. Um, and they look very scary. Yeah, whatever it is, just doesn't sound like the thing that you would want to have teenagers try to deal with in a tournament for fun but i think by by the same as basilisk i mean like the same including the like petrifying eyes like yeah the like that will murder (laughs) that yeah like if you don't look at them in a mirror and they just look at you you die (laughs) no wonder they had to cancel this fucking tournament yeah and put on their quote-unquote safety procedures you know like dragons instead of cockatrice that sounds like it's probably plural by itself. Yeah. That's goddamn school. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, my second thing is about the owlery. Okay. Which, okay, number one. So I really, I think it's just the way this is written. I really am having a hard time even picture that, like what the owlery looks like. It's like, is it like a giant spiral staircase and there's just owl? Per- it's just like, it's very confusing for me to think about. Mm-hmm. At the very least, as opposed to just being free perches, like a perch you would give like a parrot or a budgie or something, is that there should really be like wooden boxes or like niches in the, in the stone because there's a ton of kinds of owls that like want to be in like a, like a toll of a tree, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever sort of kind of like enclosed natural space. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think a snowy owl would be fine because I spend a lot of time in the Arctic, not a lot of trees there. But I don't know. If anyone has like a barn owl chilling on a perch, just, I mean, I know they're like magical, like post office at like mail delivering owls, but it still seems like you could have at least tried to make them comfortable. Make them comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't, it sounds pretty unpleasant as a place to be a bird or animal generally like it's cold it's dirty it's drafty it's yeah there yeah it sounds like it's just like lined with like rows of perches along all of the walls right and then the owls just like crammed together i feel like i really can't tell because i'm just like is there is like the staircase just along the outer walls of this like tower and they're all in the middle like i was just like no because harry's like walking on the floor and it's like 
covered in straw and poop. But then how do you get to the owls at the top? I don't think you get to them. Mm. He says he has to coax her down. Okay, that makes more sense now in my brain. Yeah, I think you you just like call them down to you. Regardless, the layout doesn't make any sense. Mm-mm. No, it should be really cute in there. It should be full of like little cubbies and stuff that are just full of owls. Yeah, and also it's everyone is magic. Why is there a poop and owl pellet straw strewn floor? Yep, I thought the same thing. It was like, <laughs> what poor fucking house elf has to come up here and like manually clean? It's probably up. a house. It's, it's probably Filch. It is probably Filch. <laughs> That's why it's not magical. <sighs> yeah, no, you're right. Because house elves would just would just do it with magic. Yeah. All right, I have a, one other thing, which is we actually get similar to whenever we had our owl conversation about like people would know about Hogwarts because all the birders would be like, why are there twenty different kinds of owls in this weird place? Uh, Hermione she mentions that her that Hedwig stands out because she's like not a native bird. I know. I underlined that for you to talk about. I was like, <laughs> I can't wait for Jesse to talk about this. <laughs> I mean, clearly the only reason that Hedwig stands out because she's a fucking letter tied to her leg mm-hmm. <laughs> but i'm glad that hermione is like even in the witching world people are gonna be like why the fuck is there a snowy owl mm-hmm. in like east london or something wherever the fuck they're hiding out at yep i feel like the really big owls too probably like fuck with local uh like populations of whatever it is that they're eating that you know isn't usually preyed on by owls yeah so yeah, glad that Hermione's at least thinking big picture, as she, as she often is. As she often is. She's our hero. Cool. We did it. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Gaily Prophet. Uh, if you like this podcast, don't forget to check out our Simon Snow podcast, which is called Escape from Reality, spelled E-S-G-A-Y-P-E. Uh, it's really great. And also, if you like it when we talk about Buffy, you should totally think about joining our Patreon where we have a Buffy podcast called We Are the Gayers. And all of those things are creations of hashtag Ruthless Productions and are produced, mixed, and edited by me. Yeah. And if you are celebrating any gift-giving holidays, consider buying some of our merch as gifts for yourself or for other people in your life. And you can find that uh, along with so many other things on our website, hashtag ruthless.com. Yeah, and if you want to find us other places on the internet, our social media is at the Gaily Prophet. We're on both Instagram and Twitter. Um, and then if you want to find me on the internet, I am on Twitter at Jesse underscore Detroit or on Instagram at live from Detroit. I am on Instagram at Lark Malachi, and that is also my website if you want to get a tarot reading from me. Our show art is by Theo Julian Forrester. The music in our theme song is by Kevin McLeod. And until next time. Peeves with the vase in the corridor.